Welcome back to High Heels and Heartache. I am your host, Kendall Ann Combs, and I'm thrilled to be back with you. So over the past couple months, you might have noticed that I haven't been putting out many episodes, but that's because I have been promoting my book. Yes, I co-authored a book. It's called What I Wish I Knew, Surviving and Thriving After an Abusive Relationship. I co-authored that book with friend to High Heels and Heartache, Dr. Amelia Kelly. Um, You probably recognize that name because she's been on the show several times. Um, And the book is really cool because we combined both my experience in my abusive relationship and Dr. Kelly's experience as a trauma psychotherapist. Um, and it's it's really neat. And in fact, it's already an Amazon bestseller. Woohoo! So if you haven't gotten it yet, jump on over to Amazon right now and buy it. Um, if you have gotten it, then give us a rate or a review. It really helps get the word out about the book um, so that other survivors of abuse and domestic violence can find it. But I promise now I'm back. I have a bunch of really cool interviews lined up for the next couple months. um, And I think that you're really, really going to enjoy them. So in today's episode, I sat down with trauma psychotherapist, Amanda Ann Gregory, and we discussed her article titled, Why Forgiveness Isn't Required in Trauma recovery. So coming right up, I have Amanda Gregory. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to High Heels and Heartache. On the line with me, I have the fabulous Amanda Gregory. Hi, Amanda. Hello. So I found you, Amanda, because you wrote a really cool article called Why Forgiveness Isn't Required in Trauma recovery. And I really connected to the article. So before we dive in, tell us a little bit about how you became a trauma psychotherapist. It was completely accidental. (laughs) (laughs) This this isn't something that, you know, I planned for. It's, It's, I knew I wanted to be a therapist, but not necessarily a trauma therapist. So I always tell people, I was sort of conned into this by teenagers. Um, My very first job, I worked in a residential treatment facility that specialized in treating developmental trauma. And so these were kiddos that had just been through a lot. And in that, I absolutely loved it. And I really aligned with the children. And then I started working more and more with adults. And I I myself am a survivor of developmental trauma. Mm -hmm. And I didn't even realize that until I had been in the field for, for many, many years. And so just feeling that, you know, trauma survivors are really my people. I really get them. And Mm -hmm. I just, gosh, I just feel so privileged to be doing this work. Oh, well, you are doing great, great work. And just, I mean, you've already helped me just when I read your article. (laughs) So let's just dive in here. Um, The first thing I want you to kind of walk us through, because we might be as trauma survivors, we might be getting messages about forgiveness and the importance of forgiving people that we're not even realizing that we're getting. So can you give us some examples of things that we sometimes hear about forgiveness and the importance of forgiving people? Right. Forgiveness is is something that I think trauma survivors can get as messages. It could be very direct or it could could be even microaggressions sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I feel sometimes as a society, there's this feeling that 
we do need to forgive. We need to forgive for ourselves. We need to forgive to move on. And there really is this feeling that that is required. And that could be very detrimental and harmful to folks, especially trauma survivors for a majority of reasons. So I think it can be put out there very directly. For example, somebody saying to you, well, well, you need to forgive them. You need to move on. You know, they're renting space in your head. You need to do this for you to something that might be kind of subtle. You know, it may be something that we experience in religion, something that kind of comes up in society of, you know, you need to let it go. And so I, I think it's important to look at those things and know that that doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. So what does the research say about forgiveness and trauma? Like, does it say, oh, you got to forgive people for you to recover from trauma? It really doesn't. Um, Research, there's a, there is quite a bit of research on just the aspect of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. And the research is actually very pro forgiveness. And I'm so glad can this, this can be a wonderful intervention for people and their healing. So a lot of the research will say that forgiveness, you know, promotes positive physical health, mental health, it might create less stress, anger, anxiety, depression, which is absolutely wonderful. The problem is, is there's not a lot of research done specifically with trauma survivors. We've got a few studies out there, but they haven't really been replicated. The sample sizes or the participants are really small. Um, We actually see more mentions of forgiveness in philosophy. We see it mentioned a lot with survivors of the Holocaust, Um, But we haven't really gotten a lot of sort of consistent research on forgiveness and trauma. So we really hope to see more and more of that. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the reasons that I connected so much to your article is because, you know, I am an abuse survivor. I, you know, deal with PTSD um, and I'm still in recovery. Um, But one thing that that I just cannot do is forgive my abuser. I just, Mm -hmm. I don't want to do it. It's not even an option for me right now. Who knows in the future if I'll feel like it's an option, but right now it's just not for me. And in your article, you give these, you know, five reasons why forgiveness should not be imposed upon trauma, trauma survivors during recovery. So I just wanted to kind of go in and, you know, talk about each one. So the first one, I, this one is so true for me. Um, Forgiveness diminishes harm and wrongs and can inhibit safety. So tell me what you mean by that. Right. So with forgiveness, when we kind of look at that concept, sometimes what could that bring about is a really sort of hindrance in our ability to keep ourselves safe. And that's especially if, for example, if we have a perpetrator or someone who's hurt us, if they're still in our lives and in some capacity, Mm -hmm. I have seen with some clients that if they feel like they just need to jump into forgiveness, if they feel like that's required, they may have a harder time establishing boundaries with this person. Maybe even, you know, sometimes we we may not want to be, have contact with these people and then that's okay. But forgiveness can make that really difficult. And when it comes to surviving trauma, sometimes that's a very isolated experience. Mm -hmm. And if we require forgiveness on top of that, it feels even more isolating. It almost feels like this, well, we'll just move on, you know, just go ahead and forgive them. And it, it can really sort of decrease that relational support that we really need in the, in the process of healing. And, and one thing I want to put out there is that 
people who mention forgiveness to us, even therapists that require forgiveness, I just want to say that that usually comes from a place of, you know, really good intent. Mm -hmm. And, but I think we need to remember that as human beings, it's really hard for us sometimes to sit with another's pain. Yeah. Particularly if we love them. If we care about them, it could be really difficult. And so sometimes I, even as a trained therapist, want to jump in and fix, mm-hmm. you know, I want the pain to go away. I don't want you to sit with this trauma. I want you to feel better. So sometimes people will mention forgiveness, encourage forgiveness, or require forgiveness to try to end someone's pain. So the intent might be great, but it doesn't really work out a lot of the time, particularly as people are trying to go through this healing process. Yeah, and in that same kind of vein, you say um, about there's a difference between acceptance and forgiveness. So what is that difference? It's very tough, you know, to see because a lot of times there's a lot of overlap there. And a lot of times the the feelings are similar of Mm -hmm. relief, you know, of Mm -hmm. of even closure. Mm -hmm. When I look at forgiveness and when I'm working with clients of this, forgiveness is usually, you know, focused on something else or even a situation. We can forgive um, something naturally occurring in the environment that impacted us. Whereas acceptance is we kind of get to the point where we can feel a decreased emotional reactivity when we think about it, mm-hmm. when we explore what happened. Now, acceptance is not I'm okay with it. And I'm always telling my clients that, you know, acceptance doesn't mean you agree. It doesn't mean you're okay with it. It doesn't mean you like it. Acceptance is sort of this It happened, period, at the end of the sentence, that's a fact. I don't have a whole lot of emotional stock in it. You know, it doesn't really impact me to a huge level going forward. It will always be a part of me. Mm -hmm. And that's never going to be erased. And even, you know, if we get to the best type of trauma recovery, it's still going to impact us in some way. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't have to impact us as much. And so that would sort of be a byproduct of acceptance. Yeah, I absolutely love that because that's that's how I feel about the abuse that happened to me. I do accept it, mm-hmm. but um, and this kind of just goes right into your next point about although I do accept what happened to me, I don't forgive my abuser, and it just goes with that point that forgiveness focuses on the abuser and not the survivor. Right. And many people will argue that point. They, they will say that, no, it's about you. It's about letting go. And I can see that. I really mm-hmm. can. But if you look at it from the perspective of a trauma survivor, you know, usually trauma involves some type of shame. Mm-hmm. And that is when you you can blame yourself. You can believe you're a bad person. You know, I was a bad kid. I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. And so with that shame, we have to be very careful when we are encouraging or requiring forgiveness because that shame can really lead to this feeling of, well, as the survivor, I have to work harder then. I have mm-hmm. to forgive them. You know, I need to really focus on them, but we're not really you know, asking the, the the other person, the perpetrator to take accountability or do that. Now, sometimes that may happen, which is wonderful, but we really need to be careful about that because empowering survivors is really important. 
you know, aligning with survivors, allowing them to tell their stories and go on their journey, as opposed to, I need you to focus on this person or this event or this circumstance, and I need you to let go. You need to do this. There's a lot of focus on that. We need to be careful there. Yeah, it, it then somehow like the survivor is responsible, right? Where they they are not responsible. No, they are not responsible for what happened. They didn't ask for it to happen. They didn't, you know, participate in that. And so to say that, okay, now you need to forgive. You need to do that. This is your responsibility. That can be really damaging. It really can. Um, and and you touched on this um, previously, but the, the third kind of bullet is forgiveness blames the survivor and that perpetuates shame. So Tell me about that. Tell me how, you know, like that, that, that idea reinforces this kind of victim blaming culture that we have. Right. And it's still very much there. You know, we're, we're working, we're trying to get a lot of awareness, but it's still very much there where you're automatically kind of, you know, looking at the victim and saying, what was your part in that? What would you do? And if we bring forgiveness into that, again, we have this focus on the survival, you need to do something differently. You know, you need to kind of take this action. And it almost has this feeling sometimes that the, the wrongs of the abuser somehow maybe equal the wrong of the survivor of not forgiving them. You know, it's oh. almost this, this concept of two wrongs don't make a right. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not about that. that. That's too much of an easy explanation. And so if I'm a survivor and I'm already feeling shame, for someone to really require me to forgive someone and I can't. And a lot of times survivors can't because they haven't gone through the process of healing mm -hmm. and they haven't gone on that journey. So then now, well, there's something really wrong with me there. You, you just reinforced my shame. Um, I worked with a 16 year old boy who experienced severe physical abuse from ages three to five from his biological mother. Now, what he would do is he would purposely anger her so she would lash out on him so he can protect his younger sister. Oh. And that's kind of what he did. And it worked. His mm -hmm. younger sister experienced little to no physical abuse. He got it all. But of course, as this 16-year-old, he developed this shame that, well, I did it. I made her angry. I do this like, whoa, whoa, we don't have the whole picture here. And he unfortunately had family members who were saying, you really need to forgive her for that. You need to move on. Well, he wasn't at that point. And he really needed to focus on his journey. He needed to focus on the things that he did that were honestly, really heroic as, mm -hmm. as a child. Um, and so luckily I was able to help his family to see that and they were able to really take forgiveness off the table. And that's one thing that's really helped clients that I've worked with. I'm not saying don't forgive. Absolutely not. If forgiveness comes and that feels right for you, do it. Absolutely do it. But for now, if you don't want to forgive, if you don't feel like you can forgive, if you don't even want to discuss forgiveness, let's take it off the table and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of connected to that as far as, you know, my fellow domestic violence survivors, your abuser has shamed you because they taught you that what they were doing to you was your fault in the first place. Right. And so now if we're getting this other message of 
not only should you be ashamed because it was your fault what your abuser did to you, but now it's also your fault that you're not forgiving your abuser. Right. And those come with the messages of what's wrong with you, right? Mm -hmm. It must be something wrong with you. You need to work harder. Unfortunately, I think sometimes in therapy, we communicate that uh, and we really shouldn't this thing of work harder. You need to forgive. You need to move past the trauma. Whoa, that's, that's extremely uh, shame-based. Uh-huh. And it's, it's, if, if you can't move past it, you can't move past it. There's no, like, you can try your best, but mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to get on that road until you are ready. Right. Another point that you make that I thought, I had never thought of this before. And when I read it, I was like, my mind is blown. I had like that a little emoji, you know, like with the, <laughs> with the head blown off the top. <laughs> That's how I felt. Um, when you say forgiveness actually encourages silence. Yeah. So when we forgive now, and I'm talking, you know, just, just really healthy, natural forgiveness. When we forgive, what I've noticed is we don't really feel the need to keep bringing something up. Mm-hmm. We may now and then, we may explore it, we may need to reflect on it, but we don't do it as much. And that is sort of a sign of letting something go. So when I'm working with my clients and they even say, I've forgiven, if they keep bringing something up, if they keep discussing it, if they keep having emotions, severe emotions related to it, that's my sign of, okay, we haven't processed this. Let's go back to it. Uh-huh. Um, but when we forgive, we don't see the need to do that. And I think sometimes when we require or really try and force people to forgive, that can bring about silence because if you've really forgiven, it sort of has this feeling of, well, why would you talk about it? Why mm-hmm. would you keep bringing it up? And why would you tell others? Now, that's mm-hmm. a problem when it comes to trauma recovery because trauma often exists in silence and isolation. That's kind of where it lives. That's where it thrives. When we start to share our story, when we start to bring safe people in to that story, when we start to be vulnerable, we start to heal. Now, forgiveness carries the opposite sometimes connotation of you don't need to talk about it. You let it go. You don't need to share your story with other people. And that can halt the healing process in its tracks completely. And it could also lead to some unsafety. So maybe I do need to tell someone, especially if somebody is hurting me, especially if they may hurt someone in the future. Mm -hmm. Um, Think about if we're dealing with a child to say, just forgive them, just forgive them. We're kind of in a way saying to that child, stop talking about it. Mm -hmm. You know, stop, just, just, just move on. And that can really lead to, you know, unsafety for them and for others. Yeah. And I'm, what I'm making a connection right now to what you said about particularly, you know, um, relationship abuse and domestic violence, you normally don't, aren't really divulging that that's happening to you. Right. So Mm -hmm. once you're starting to recover from that and you're actually voicing, well, these are the things that are going on. If forgiveness is the expectation and you are now not speaking about the things that happened, maybe for the first time, then how are you going to truly recover? Exactly. And a lot of forms of trauma exist in sort of this feeling of normalcy. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be in a relationship where you experience domestic violence and that can feel completely normal. Yeah. 
especially developmental trauma or things that happen to us when we're young or a young adult, a lot of times we don't really know the difference. It's only when we talk to other people or we have other experiences that sort of shine the flashlight on what we've been through and then we have that awareness. Well, in order to sort of break that spell of, well, this is normal, this is how I deserve to be treated. Oh yeah, we have to talk about it. We have to allow you know ourselves to share our story and bring other people in. And a lot of times forgiveness when it's not timed right, when the person isn't ready, can again halt that process in its tracks. Yeah. And like for me, recovering from my trauma, I always sort of see it as like I'm peeling the layers off the onion, right? Like, okay, mm-hmm. this is this is I've I've now kind of worked to recover from this part of it. But now once I was done with that layer, oh, here's another layer that I have to go through. So if I feel like I should have quote unquote forgiven my abuser and maybe not talk about it, then I'm not getting down to all of those layers that are necessary for me to kind of look at and deconstruct in order to recover from my trauma. Right. And there was a quote that you mentioned from the article that I want to say now, because it's absolutely wonderful. This is from Rosina Bakiri. And she writes, trying to stop pain by forgiveness is like putting a box of cake mix in the oven and expecting to get a cake that does not work and you could burn your house down. That is such a good quote. Yes. That's so So good. That is just really an illustration of when we jump into forgiveness too soon, when we require it of others, we are sabotaging this vital healing process, a healing process that is painful, but necessary. And I think as somebody, you know, going through that healing process, that can be tough because we may look to forgiveness as a way out, as an escape route, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't work. I've seen people try to do it and it doesn't work because all of the emotions are are still locked inside. Mm -hmm. Because you can't avoid true recovery through forgiveness. Right. It can be part of your recovery, but Mm -hmm. you can't avoid it. And one thing I want to say is that when forgiveness is a part of recovery, it's usually near the end. Hmm. No, it's it's usually, you know, in, in maybe those final stages or it kind of comes very rarely do I kind of see it at the beginning mm-hmm. or, or even in the middle. Um, so I think that's important to know, too, that if somebody is not forgiving, not able to forgive, doesn't want to forgive let's not think that they're never going to forgive, right? Mm-hmm. That, that could still be part of their journey or maybe not. So I think that's important to know that forgiveness could occur near the end of someone's journey and that's okay. Yeah. So you, you don't have to, at this moment, think that forgiveness is never going to be part of your recovery, that that's going to be the way it's always going to be. Maybe when you're down the path, you'll feel differently. Exactly. And that is a big truth for trauma work, I've noticed. I have worked with some clients with severe, severe trauma, and they've told me, well, I know I'm never going to be able to do that. That's an unrealistic goal. And I've just said, oh, okay. Um, You know, I didn't (laughs) fight them on it. I was just, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, I don't know if that's true. And, you know, after years of work, they get to the point when then they're able to do it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we do believe we're never going to be able to do something, but but who knows? Let's let's see what happens when we get there. And one thing I do want to remark is people who have successfully 
really are in recovery from trauma and have not forgiven. You know, these are people that we, we don't hear about a lot. And I think sometimes these people don't feel like they can, they can share that, mm-hmm. but it, it's really vital. And it's wonderful that they were able to go on this journey and it's completely okay. That forgiveness was never part of that journey for one reason or another. So let me share my story with you briefly. It might help. Okay. So I, um, experienced severe developmental trauma through through most of my childhood with physical and emotional um, neglect. And my father has passed away. My mother is still alive. Now, I never felt the need to forgive my mother um, because that never really made sense to me. And the way that my work sort of unraveled is I started out being very angry at my mother. I actually had to go through a grieving period for not having a mother, sort of that mother wound that we hear about in trauma treatment. And where I've come to is really this acceptance of my mother also experienced developmental trauma. Um, She had an illness as as a child and she was treated very differently by her parents. She was very coddled. You know, she was very much sort of raised to, to be a victim in a way. And she never got treatment. My mother and father were incapable of providing secure attachment for me and my brothers. Mm -hmm. They were just incapable. And so for me, that changes things. Now, I am not excusing my mother's um, actions and inactions in any way. You know, Mm -hmm. she needs to take accountability for that and then do her own work. But what I am saying is that she was not capable. I did experience loss and I don't really have anger or animosity towards her. If anything, I have a little bit of sympathy Mm-hmm. You know, that that she, you know, really couldn't be a mother to, to her three children. And I would not say that I've forgiven her. I, I don't feel like I've done that, but I also don't feel the need to do that. So that's kind of an example of how maybe forgiveness doesn't need to be a part of your journey, but you can still really experience wonderful recovery from trauma. Yeah. Th- thank you for sharing that with me. I, I think that that's a really, really good example of exactly what your article, you know, wh- why your article is so profound, because it, you're really speaking both as a survivor and as, you know, a trauma psychotherapist. Yes. And I, and I hope that helps folks, you know, because I think there's, there's wonderful clinicians out there with, with so much knowledge and dedication to trauma. I haven't really seen a lot that will also share their experiences of trauma. So I'm, I'm hoping a little bit to maybe pave the way to do more of that. Let clinicians know that, you know what, it's okay. You, you don't have to let that negatively impact your work. You can take care of yourself. You can really focus on your clients, but if you feel comfortable, it's also okay to share your stories to really help people understand that, oh, wow, you know, this is a clinician that works with trauma, but but also really gets it. Yeah, no, you for sure truly do get it. So just As kind of an aside, we started this conversation and you were giving us some examples of the things that we hear about forgiveness and the importance of forgiving people. And a lot of people who are recovering from trauma um, are hearing this, are hearing those messages through the religion that they practice. So how would you wrestle with if you are recovering from trauma and Maybe you're working towards acceptance and not forgiveness, but your religion is requiring you to forgive. That is very, very difficult. Absolutely. Because now it really depends upon the religion regarding how they feel about forgiveness, you know, their teachings 
of forgiveness. And I, I think it's especially tough, you know, in this country where we tend to unfortunately lean Christianity, but our, our country isn't a Christian country. You know, we're, we're very, mm-hmm. very diverse. With, you know, clients, I always encourage them if they feel more comfortable seeking out a therapist who understands their religious beliefs, you know, maybe even practices under those beliefs, that might be good because that therapist may be able to navigate them through that process. And I really think it's about bringing in multiple people in your healing. You may bring in a minister, you know, a a priest or, you know, an elder into that process. And you may also have a therapist, you know, you may also have a support group and you're probably going to hear different things. And what I tell my clients is what feels right to you right now in this moment, it may not feel right two minutes from now, but what feels right now? And let's go with that. Knowing that you don't have to be bought into anything. You can always change your mind. You're going on this journey. It's going to have twists. It's going to have turns. Some of those may align with some of your religious beliefs. Some of them may not. And so I think it's good to be present and go with what feels right. And of course, as a clinician, we need to be aware of clients that have religious or spiritual beliefs. We need to respect that. We need to help them explore where are they with that? How are they feeling about that? And knowing that that is probably going to be coming in to the realm of trauma treatment, which it should. Yeah, that that's that's really, really powerful insight. And, you know, I hadn't really thought of that about, you know, possibly seeking out a clinician who shares your religion because like, I don't know, I feel like it was weird to like ask them, but you're telling us like, you probably would know why we were asking you because you probably would have an understanding of something that we might be struggling with. Yes. And I always tell people, and this is so important in in trauma treatment or any type of therapy, that research has consistently shown that one of the top indicators of your success in therapy is your relationship with your therapist. So, and I tell um, my colleagues that I train, I say, I don't care what intervention you're using. If you do not have a safe and trusting relationship with your client, you're not going to get anywhere. So if anything, you need to make sure that's something that you address. And so I always tell prospective clients, go shrink shopping. That's what I like (laughs) to call it. Shrink shopping. You know, look at these therapists, ask them if they do free consultation calls, get them on the phone, get them on email, ask them some of these questions. And know that if they're offended, that that's probably the therapist. That's probably something they need to work on. If I had a client that emailed me and say, hey, are you a Buddhist? Are you Jewish? I would answer that question. Mm-hmm. You know, and if, if I don't feel comfortable, then then I need to discuss that with a client. But I think those are okay questions to ask, especially if you need to ask them. Yeah, absolutely. So as someone who is a survivor of trauma, who is recovering, you know, without forgiving your abuser and someone who has, you know, decades of um, experience helping us survivors um recover maybe without forgiveness what insight can you provide to us of like how can we do it what what are some tips and tricks you could give us absolutely so there's a couple 
One is relationships, relationships, relationships. <laughs> and this is coming from the research. This is coming from what I've seen. So when we experience trauma, particularly um, developmental trauma or relational trauma, we can easily experience some disruption, disruptions in our attachment. Mm -hmm. And so it is so important that we make sure we have some relationships that are safe, that are healthy, that are reciprocal. Those can be romantic relationships, friendships, family, community groups. You know, it's really important to experience that because I've noticed that the clients who are able to do that have much more of sort of a foundation under their feet when they go through this process. Now, the trick to that is sometimes trauma makes that difficult to mm -hmm. create those relationships. So that's something that can definitely be addressed, you know, in, in therapy, but I always want my clients to increase sort of their level of social support. Now, when it comes to therapy, usually when we look at therapy, I do encourage people who've experienced trauma to participate in therapy if they have the resources to do so. And when they do, we typically think of talk therapy, you know, or CBT, which is absolutely fine, especially if that works for the client. But I always tell folks, make sure you're looking at other options too, because a lot of times trauma doesn't exist in our prefrontal cortex, particularly developmental trauma or childhood trauma. It's in the oldest part of our brains, our brainstem, our limbic system. And talk therapy doesn't always address those parts of brain. So I always encourage trauma survivors, look into other options, particularly if you haven't had a lot of success with talk therapy. We call them bottom-up approaches. So for example, EMDR, um, somatic or sort of movement therapy, um, mm -hmm. expressive arts therapy, internal family systems therapy, you know, any type of relational therapy can be great as well. If you can have a mixture, that's wonderful because then you kind of have your hands in, in a lot of pots and you're, you're getting a lot of out, out of that, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, that's a great idea. Just, just because talk therapy doesn't work for you doesn't mean all therapy doesn't work. You just got to find the right one. Exactly. And I've, I've worked with clients who've experienced talk therapy, didn't like it. So they came to me to do other methods or they've had good success with talk therapy, but then the therapy was stagnant. So they needed mm -hmm. to switch it up. So in addition to shrink shopping, I tell clients, switch up your therapy at any time, you know, ask your therapist, can they do something different or can they maybe refer you to someone to get some different interventions or a different take? I love that. What a great idea. Well, thank you so much for being with me today. And I just, again, your article, I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. But for me, it was so profound and it really spoke to me. So thank you so much for all of the work that you've done and continue to do, you know, to help survivors. Oh, thank you so much. And if anybody wants more information, I have a ton of free resources on my website. Uh, just type in Amanda Ann Gregory and it'll take you there. Okay. And I'll also put a link to it in the show notes. Great. Thank you. Thanks. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you again to Amanda Ann Gregory for being on the show today and discussing her article, Why Forgiveness Isn't Required in Trauma Recovery. 
Please check out the show notes if you want to read that article because there's a link there. And there's also a link to her really cool blog. It's called Transforming Trauma. And there's a lot of really, really good information on there. And while you're clicking on the internet, why not uh, just go on to Amazon or Barnes and Nobles and Target um, and buy What I Wish I Knew, Surviving and Thriving After an Abusive Relationship. Um, And if you've read it, if you could please rate and review it and this show, um, (laughs) it would mean a lot to me. If you are in an unsafe or unhealthy relationship, there is help available. Please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline. That number is 1-800-799-7233. Again, that number is 1-800-799-SAFE.